The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. U.S. producer prices pop, reigniting inflation concerns and sending U.S. markets more than 1% into the red, with the sell-off carrying across to the Asian markets. Back to 50 basis points, hot inflation and a robust labour market prompt the Fed's Loretta Mester and James Bullard to push for a return to half-point hikes in March. President Biden embarks on balloon diplomacy, saying he'll speak to President Xi while Washington and Beijing consider talks on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference. We're not looking for a new Cold War, but I make no apologize. I make no apologies and we will compete and we'll, be res- we'll responsibly manage that competition so that it doesn't veer into conflict. Shares in China Renaissance drop after the boutique advisory company warns its chief executive is missing amid speculation the high-profile dealmaker has upset Beijing. And Tesla says it will install an over-the-air upgrade on some 360,000 vehicles after safety issues are discovered in its self-driving software. Although CEO Elon Musk insists the issue does not amount to a recall. Let's take you to the market action because it was the PPI number that was still too hot for the markets to digest at this stage. Investors hoping uh, that we were not going to get uh, the pace of rate hikes that the Fed has been spelling out. Uh, but investors getting a second data point this week after the retail sales number. And the numbers coming through hot on the PPI as well. And this was the market reaction. One and a quarter percent down on the Dow. The S&P reversing 1.4 and 1.8 off the Nasdaq. So across the board, we saw reversal. A big moving names to the upside, though. Cisco, very strong in the back of earnings. Microsoft to the downside, uh, moving all major markets in the direction that was in the red. And don't forget, we have that uh, separate report, this one from the likes of Microsoft around its AI chatbot. So this was uh, an element that was very specific around the Microsoft story. But underlying this, I think stocks moving very much in one direction on concerns that the Fed might have to tighten more than anticipated and higher for longer, a story that investors too have been uh, trying to disconnect with, despite that being very much a part of the narrative. You saw this in terms of sectors over the course of the trade. Over the week, we've had energy moving to the downside, consumer discretionary, the top performer, but in session yesterday, some of those chips all moving around as investors repriced around what we had on the uh, PPI. Let me take you to the US markets for the trading week and put that session in context. We are still firmer on the Nasdaq. So there's been a lot of front-loaded buying in the technology names. Over the course of the week, the S&P is flat. The Dow has given up half of a percent. I want to take you to U.S. Treasuries. Uh, what we saw on that U.S. 10-year Treasury yield, we rose to 3.84 Uh, 3.84 on the um, long end, as you can see, 3.89 currently where we're sitting. So we are more elevated. Also at the short end, 4.67 is what we're watching. So the the bond market is very much reacting to what we could see on the Fed funds rate. I want to take you to the dollar trade early on as we reflect those high yields. The dollar story has been key this week. It's uh, stopped the decline that we've seen in dollar in recent months. And you can see sterling euro both on the back foot this morning. The slippage were back below the 120 handle on sterling. 
but also below the 107 level on euro at this point. So that slippage is fairly key. 134.70 on dollar yen rates and dollar is also uh, poised high versus the uh, yuan. So right across the board, we are seeing greenback gains this morning. To the Asian markets on the back of that red from the States, it really is spilling across the region. As you can see, Australia trading down almost nine-tenths of a percent for the Friday trade. Modestly weaker for the Shanghai market, six-tenths down on Hong Kong and the Japanese stock market, giving up 180-odd points and moving into the red. The opening calls, we've had a fairly strong week here in Europe. It has been fairly stellar as you think about the fourth positive session in a row as we wrapped up yesterday, 1.6% higher on the Stocks Europe 600. All of the major markets looking just to drift off some of these high ranges this morning as we react to what looks to be a slightly risk-off event now thanks to the data, Jeff. Yeah, let's have a look at the uh, data in some more detail here because I think it was fascinating and it's rounded out what has been a remarkable week for numbers that imply there is still resilience in the U.S. economy. So U.S. producer prices jumping 0.7% in January, beating expectations. That notched up the largest increase since June. On an annual basis, then headline PPI increased 6% elevated but well off of course the 11.6 percent peak we saw back in march of 2022 it's more evidence though of the u.s economy running hotter than expected after beats on tuesday's cpi data and of course last week's jobs figures we also had an initial claims number today that was uh, robust or overnight at least that was robust two of the fed's most hawkish officials say the central bank should have gone for a bigger rate hike at its meeting two weeks ago and say larger hikes for a longer period of time are necessary to bring inflation down to target the cleveland fed president loretta mester says the Fed has more work to do, while the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says this month's 25 basis point hike wasn't big enough. Neither Mester nor Bullard have a vote on the Fed's open market committee this year. Well, investors have lifted their bets on the Fed's terminal rate, with money markets pricing in a 5.25% Fed funds rate by the summer fascinating because the data has indicated the stickiness of inflation this week. It's also shown that the labour market appears to still be resilient. The initial claims number went against the run of expectations, but, and I think it's a relatively big part, as they say, the Philly Fed uh, data or survey implies the risks of recession are rising here. So yet again, investors have a real conundrum on their hands as they try and gauge exactly when the Fed's interest rate hikes are going to have a significant effect on slowing the economy, um, leading to higher job losses, and ultimately bringing this kind of stealth bull in a bear market to an end. Yeah, if I could just sort of reverse into this and take a look at those comments from Loretta Mester and James Bullard. I mean, both are non-voting members, but it's key as we talk about what could potentially happen here and what members are debating at this point. And they're saying, uh, effectively, they would have both gone for the half a percent rate hike at the last meeting. So in some ways, it's uh, backward looking. What uh, should have happened, what should have been done, and would it have tamed the situation we've got now? The question is what comes ahead? And I think the missing link here is 
still the inflation rate. And the problem with the PPI, some are thinking that this is the forward indicator that if you've still got uh, this push forward of higher prices through supply chains, then consumers might still see that impact. And the, the progress we've had to date to 6.4% on the CPI, perhaps we don't make as much traction here. And that does present a challenge for the Fed in terms of getting ahead of the narrative. Uh, don't forget, if you think about where we're going, we've still got uh, retail sales running hot, 3% higher. When you look at the unemployment rate, well, we're at 3.4%. So there's still a, a lot of uh, demand potentially in the system here. And that means perhaps stickier inflation for longer. So I think uh, this is a major issue as we look ahead. Inflation is projected to fall to what 3.1% by year end. That according to a Wall Street Journal a survey of economists, that 3.1% does get us much closer to the 2% mark from where we are currently today, the, the uh, well above 6% level. If we're not making progress down to the, to the 3.1%, what does that mean for the rate hikes? Semester was spelling it out. Just because we've moved by 25 basis points now doesn't mean that could be the pathway for the future. Could we actually go back to a 50 basis point move? Could that be necessary? And I think that is a mindset change as we waited for a pause, a pivot, to slow down in rate hikes, a slowing the pace. And now we're saying, well, well maybe all bets are back on the table again. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I mean, with the greatest of respect, the comments are about as useful as a chocolate teapot at a children's tea party, aren't they? I mean, really, we just start talking about, oh, well, how this... Neither of them are on the voting committee anyway. So uh, as far as the market's perception of the significance of these comments for the next rate outcome, I think they should park it. Yes, we know they're hawkish. They have uh, always been hawkish through this cycle. Um, I just don't know what you do with those comments. I mean, for goodness sake, I should have become a neurosurgeon, not become a TV presenter. I could have made millions and retired by now, but it didn't happen. It's so what help is that at all at the moment? It's the magic trick if you're talking about children's parties, because effectively everyone's looking over here and then the white bunny has emerged over here. And they're saying, don't think in the very fixed um, perspective that you're trying to think in where we've got this path for the Fed. All bets are open because th this is a very unusual situation. The data may not play ball. And I think that's a problem for a lot of investors now looking at the potential for recession. Goldman Sachs lowered its estimate. It's at a probability of recession at 25% from 35%. Mm. So again, it is a very small percentage when you look at one of the major investment banks and their call for what could be a hard landing from here. And I think um, that's, that's a problem if you look at the pricing on markets. We've been carried a long way in recent sessions. There's been a lot of upbeat action that's spilled across not just to the US markets, right across to Europe as well. And yeah. some of the emerging market trades, and I think you've simply got risk off because it's been carried a little bit too far on the bullish side. Well, look, I mean, if you want to talk uh, magic shows, this is the biggest source of distraction for the market you've ever seen. You know, like magicians, they try and persuade you to look over here while something else is going on over here. And quite frankly, I'm not sure how useful this information is because this is the team that told you that inflation was going to be transitory. So we didn't need rates to go up as much as they have. Now they're telling us they need to go up even more and they're telling us that the last rate rise should have been even higher. Well, thanks. That's really useful. Look, one piece of information that you can get your hands on is the fact that 
Okay, we had a pullback yesterday, but in terms of the, and I was making this point to, to David, the producer this morning, who was saying, we've got to talk about the markets, look at the big pullback. 400 points on the Dow these days barely cuts it. It barely registers in terms of the intraday volatility and the daily close volatility. Okay, we had a pullback here, but to my mind, that doesn't tell you that people are running for the hills and selling their portfolio at this yeah. point. And the extraordinary thing is, and this is something that um, our uh, audience really needs to keep in mind, as much as there is this constant drumbeat of higher rates and bear market narrative, as um, um, John Authors points out in his piece today, another uh, terrific piece from him, the US stock market is again back in a leadership role over the rest of the world. And what we saw at the end of last year was a rotation away from the, well, in fact, through a lot of the end of last year, a rotation away from US market leadership to the rest of the world. And that was reflected in Europe and it was reflected in emerging Asia. And the flow of funds back into emerging has been extraordinary through the last couple of quarters here. But something's going on. The US is back in the driving seat halfway through this quarter. Yeah. Now, whether it remains in the driving seat, I don't know. But you have to take notice of the price action here because it's making fools of everybody who is arguing this is a bear market. It's the earnings, isn't it? We've seen very resilient numbers still crossing for a lot of US companies. And I think that's uh, one of the catalysts behind the performance you've seen in the States uh, in the last couple of weeks. Anyway, we've got to push on and uh, talk about some of the geopolitics as US President President Joe Biden says he will speak with Chinese President Xi Jinping about the balloon incidents, saying he doesn't want a new Cold War. Biden said there is not yet evidence that three of the four downed objects are linked to a Chinese spy program and that Washington will review its procedures to help distinguish between those posing a threat and those that do not. The US leader said they continue to engage with Beijing, but did not set any timeline for talks and made it clear he would not be apologizing for shooting anything down. This past Friday, we put restrictions on six firms that directly support the People's Republic Liberation Army, the People's, Lib the People's Liberation Army Aerospace Program. That includes airships and balloons, uh, denying them access to U.S. technology. We briefed our diplomatic partners and our allies around the world, and we know about China's program and where their balloons have flown. Some of them have also raised their concerns directly with China. Our exports have lifted components of the Chinese balloons payload off the ocean floor. We'll also continue to engage with China as we have throughout the past two weeks. As I've said since the beginning of my administration, we seek competition, not conflict with China. We're not looking for a new Cold War, but I make no apologize. I make no apologies and we will compete and we'll, be res we'll responsibly manage that competition so that it doesn't veer into conflict. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. The Munich Security Conference kicks off today, almost a year to the day since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Hadley is in Munich for us. Hadley, we're expecting today to be all about Ukraine, but in the last uh, number of sessions, last number of days, we've been hearing more about the spy balloons, even, uh, dare I say it, UFOs. Do you want to just walk us through the events on the table today? 
Absolutely, Karen. As you say, this is the 59th annual Munich Security Conference. It's a three-day event. It brings together world leaders, uh, most particularly from the West. But there is representation, representation from China. Wang Li, the foreign minister, is joining the conference after his visit to Paris and Emmanuel Macron. Um, no official meeting is as scheduled yet uh, between his U.S. counterpart, Antony Blinken, and himself. But this is a tight hotel. The Bajorhof Hotel um, has a lot of corridors, meandering through those corridors. No doubt will be a lot of world leaders. And it often happens that there is an accidental meeting, if you will, uh, between folks on the sidelines of this conference. So no doubt we could see something of that nature taking place uh, between the Chinese and the Americans. But as you say, front and center on the agenda is the fact that we are just days away from the anniversary of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine. I'll be speaking with Jen Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General, as well as Ursula von der Leyen on Saturday. Later this morning, I'm going to be speaking with Finland's foreign minister, first on CNBC, and we're going to speak specifically about Finland and Sweden bid to be a part of that NATO alliance. We heard just yesterday from Jens Stoltenberg essentially saying that while this is Turkey's decision, he still wants this to be a joint effort. There have been some questions over that uh, in the last several days. And certainly over the last several months, it's a question I put to him often, how soon we're going to see those two countries be a part of NATO. And he said, while he is still positive, it's going to take some work. And we've seen that playing out. Another big question on the agenda is the role of Western democracies, frankly, going forward when it comes to AI, when it comes to intelligence. Um, there are questions about security and climate change. I'll be hosting two panels that later this evening uh, with Senator Lindsey Graham, as well as uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. I'll also be talking uh, to Franz Timmerman, talking about the energy transition. Interestingly enough, not as many members of the private sector will be attending this conference as I have seen in the past. Certainly on my panels, I'll be speaking to policymakers, but not necessarily members of the business community, the, the big oil and gas majors, for example. Total Energy is expected to be here, but they're not on my panel. So you've got to take a step back and think about just how much can be achieved by policymakers when they're not engaging with the private sector. And two, noticeable absentees at this conference. China, yes, is here. Iran, though, and Russia, neither of those countries are represented. We've seen Iranians here. We saw Russians here last year. One of them, uh, one very close to uh, President Putin, essentially saying to me days before the invasion that he didn't think that it was actually going to happen in spite of the amount of troops that President Putin had put on the border. So I think it's really interesting to note that while we've got a huge collection of Western leaders here, we have no representation from those that they say are basically upending the international order. And I'm talking about Russia and I'm talking about Iran. Guys. Terrific. Hadley, thank you so much for that. Uh, we will catch up with you a little bit later on for more of the coverage coming from Munich. Now, Allianz has reported a fourth quarter net profit of 2 billion euros returning to the black amid strong performance in its life and health business units. Uh, Oliver Beta is the CEO of Allianz and joins us now. O Oliver, great to see you here. Look, I'm, 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 I'm impressed with the numbers this morning, given that when we saw you back in Davos, I remember you saying that this was one of the worst market environments in 2022 imaginable. Um, just tell us how we match up that comment with what you've delivered today. Thank you and good morning. Well, we just ran a very, very good company and we're very proud of the results. And I followed the program this morning about everybody being fearful. I think the key message is the very strong companies that have used COVID to prepare themselves for a much tougher world are going to be the winners here. And there will be lots that we won't. And Allianz, I think, is going to be a winner. All right. Well, let me let me ask you a slightly harder question then, because I think that was a free uh, that was a free swing of the bat, basically. Um, 
Can you maintain the improvements that you're demonstrating here? Because as I think we've been discussing, there's a lot of um, concern about what higher uh, uh, interest rates are ultimately going to mean for the global economy, for the markets we all operate in. Will we see a significant recession? Will we see a slowdown? What impact will that have on your business? So first of all, the environment will remain extremely tough. Uh, not just geopolitically, you mentioned inflation. We don't think that it's going to go away anytime soon. But remember, higher rates are very good for us. Very, very good for us. You see that in our very strong profit. We had, again, record revenues, record operating profit, uh, very strong returns to our shareholders. And that is uh, if you have a resilient model. So yes, the environment is tough. But yes, particularly for us, higher rates are really good. And we're going to take benefit of that. Oliver, just turning to the revenue line, I can see your total revenues increased uh, single digits, 2.8% over the course of the year. You point to strong price and volume effects, but at what point does some of this fade, whether it's the pricing side or the volume side? So it's very important, and, and as I said, sort of you, you come with the, with the outcomes. The numbers are outcomes of what we do with our clients. The last year was the year where we had the highest customer satisfaction ever. In a world where people are looking for institutions they can trust, Allianz is booming. Yeah, we are the number one brand in our industry, now four year running in all metrics. And again, customer satisfaction is the highest. So that's what we really need to monitor, uh, have the satisfaction, and then we have pricing power, and then we retain our clients. It sounds simple. But it ain't that simple, of course, operationally. The second thing is we have the highest employee satisfaction, an all-time high, and highly motivated people make happy customers. Again, it sounds uh, benign and simple. It ain't that simple, but it works. See, uh, there is a lot of uh, different issues to, to pick through in the numbers today. And if you consider the fee side too, lower performance fees here, lower assets under management uh, behind the revenues in the asset management business segment. What uh, is the impact of high rates? You mentioned uh, that there was a, a tailwind effectively from that. Does that make any difference when it comes to the, what you're seeing on the performance fees and assets under management uh, for the year ahead? Yes. Yes, obviously, we had the worst capital market ever with equities and bonds going down last year. And we still were resilient with significantly north of three billion in profits. And we had outflows, of course. But here it shows the resilience of our model. Over the last few years, asset management has supported when we had issues in PNC and the other way around. So the overall portfolio is super strong. We have had positive flows uh, in January already. So that's very important to note. So the business on an uptick. And yes, returns will be lumpy. The key thing is to have a model that works throughout the cycle. And a property casualty has been extremely strong, both on pricing and on organic growth. And on the life side, um, it's very important. We have in continued to increase margin. We're not going for volume. We want to see profitable business written. By the way, we have been continuously de-risking the balance sheet uh, throughout the year. So when you look at our capital level, that's actually one piece of information. The most important thing is that the sensitivity of our capital position to market shocks has further decreased and we are going to reinforce the balance sheet and the ship going forward. Oliver, you said um, an outflow of assets under management, of course. Why of course? Surely as the market becomes, I think, a little more focused on the opportunity in stock selection rather than in purely buying a vanilla ETF index fund. They should be coming to businesses like yours to get active management. Um, do, do you, are you expecting this uh, fund flow to, 
to shift direction and to start the money start coming back in rather than exiting? Yeah, uh, again, as I just said, it's very important. Last year, people were panicking that were basically pulling money except for some passive products. And now we have seen positive flows into PIMCO and many of uh, the actively managed funds where there's a clear value proposition. I expect that to continue. But again, I'm not a great forecaster, to be honest, on market movement. So it will really depend on the environment. We still see a lot of volatility, as you uh, two have discussed just a few minutes ago. There's a lot of insecurity around what policymakers will do, what politics will do, what underlying inflation will do. So we have to be careful. The key thing is to really make sure the productivity goes up, that we rein in uh, on our cost side, that we make sure the services are outstanding. The rest is something that we manage on a real-time basis. Oliver, I want to just pick up on how you're navigating the markets because there was a report in recent weeks about a move away from alternative investments on the money that's been piled in from Allianz to the likes of property, wind farms over the years and into fixed income at this point. It's a sea change if you're going about business that way. We know others are also looking at pulling back from alternative investments. Just give us a sense as to why the fixed income markets now is the place to be for you. So it's very important. We had, again, financial repressions now for many, many years, and that really has harmed our customers. When people say it has stabilized the economy, that may be the case, but it certainly has defrauded uh, savers for many, many years, particularly in Germany and the peop- uh, in countries where we've had really negative rates. With rates moving positive, uh, value is coming back into fixed income. We also see that in pricing. And it has much lower capital charges in our regulatory regime. So we're not giving up on investing in alternative assets, but there is a lot more value in fixed income now than there was over the last few years. And it just makes sense to rebalance towards uh, intelligent fixed income products. Oliver, just briefly, premium premium, um, inflation this year. What do you think you can push up uh, policies to uh, when it comes to both life and in general accident? So in terms of um, the life side, we have a lot of really interesting products coming that have the right uh, balance between protection and yield participation. So again, here, the alternative assets are no way going out of the product mix uh, to the opposite. What is very important, uh, what we are now seeing, is that we're getting a lot of benefits from rate rises in income, so that buffers us. We've also put uh, to the tune of 1.8 billion extra money into our reserves to buffer for inflation, so we can be flexible on pricing power. I cannot tell you exactly how we're going to earn it through, because one thing is price increases, the other one is how much of the price you actually earn and how many clients you retain. But the great news for Allianz is we have extremely high levels of retention despite the price increases that we unfortunately had to take. And one thing I can tell you for sure, and uh, looking at the terrible things that happened in Turkey, we need to tighten further on net cat pricing and protection. So the environment for commercial lines and for net cat covers is very positive in terms of pricing momentum. We need to make sure that we manage inflation in the uh, automotive sector very, very carefully. And we're doing this on a real-time basis. Three to five percent to answer your question on PNC has to come for sure. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.